This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. One of the biggest challenges that I think I've gone through and even Nick is the managing director over the last six to nine months is that you're constantly redefining yourself through organisational growth, exactly that. You From, from day zero to, to day one, you're wearing every hat under the sun, you're, you're doing sales, you're doing marketing, you're managing your own HR, you're doing your own potential legal work. There's so many elements to a business that that's your identity. Welcome to the podcast, brother. Thanks for having me. It's uh, interesting times. Warm weather outside, but I'm excited, so thank you. Coming in the summer, how good is it? Well, uh, you, you took me out on the deck before and uh, we were planning to shoot out there, so... <laughs> well, I reckon next, next time we will. Absolutely. A few beers. Barbecue going. That's, a, that's actually what we want to do. We want to, get a, <laughs> we want to bring a Barbie in. Barbie, a few drinks on a Friday... Get to know the real Jordan. Creative juices. <laughs> you, you'll get some real creative juices there. That's, for sure. that's when you'll get the gold. Um, awesome, brother. So we've obviously got some things that we want to talk about today that me and you have had conversations about behind the scenes, um, which I'm really, really excited about. Um, this is the first episode of the new podcast. Mm-hmm. So we've obviously been doing podcasts previously, um, but what we've started to do is now shift into having the Investors podcast. Uh, and now this is going to be... Uh, the first episode of the the our new um, business podcast, which yeah. is called Zero to One, uh, and and basically we're just trying to have conversations around um, business that um, are going to make an impact on those listening, on helping them take their idea from zero to one. So special, very special. Um, but what I might get you to do, brother, is introduce yourself um, and tell everyone a little bit about. I guess we'll start with your journey, man. Definitely, definitely, definitely. So. Like most people, finished school, graduated year 12. There was no real clarity on direction. I did get into a Bachelor, bachelor of Geology, deferred that um, and got an opportunity to go and work up in Queensland in the mine and in the mines that is and try and make some money and uh, like most people listening, wanted to put that money to good use. So for me, it was I finished up in the mines. Uh, the natural assumption when you've, you've got a small deposit is buy first homes. So that's the direction I headed in and as a part of that process, um, I looked to use a mortgage broker and, and that really inspired me to, to go down that career path because as I finished the mines, I was contemplating, do I become a stockbroker? I'd been trading shares for a number of years and it was, it was just a natural interest of mine. But through the process of buying a home, um, I got attracted to, to that idea of helping people and a little bit more customer-facing and customer-centric, somewhat of a sales role. So pursued the, the opportunity of becoming a mortgage broker and jumped online, worked out what what educational requirements I had to go through and started acquiring those. And I came back from the mines, started working on the education piece of it all and uh, I didn't work for six months because I didn't need to. So I took time out and enjoyed myself and spent time with family and friends. And and then from there it was, okay, it's time to get a job. You're, you're, you're 19, let's, let's start pursuing what, what you really wanted to. And for me it was just trawling seek. Ended up, it got to a point where I wouldn't say I was, I was desperate, but I was looking for a while and I'm like, I really, really want to get into the workforce now and start sinking my, my teeth into a career. So one afternoon, ended up applying for a job uh, for where I'm at now. It was about six weeks old. And at that point in time, managing director Nick would always just run an ad on Seek. And, and at this time, it was for a mortgage broker role, a sales role. And, and from his perspective, 
when you're looking, you won't necessarily find. Um, but if you keep that ad constantly open, you, you don't know what's going to come across your desk. So who looks, who applies for a seek ad that's six weeks old? Not many people. And for, for whatever reason, I decided to because of where I was at in my life and got me in. Um, and it was crazy. I During that interview, I was so, so, so sick. I hadn't, the night before, two nights before, younger sister wanted to, to get some takeout and got probably the worst dose of food poisoning in my life and I was in a terrible way but I thought no yeah this is an interview got to rock up I was in the interview suit tie everything in between just sweat like literally drenched like like the Michael Jordan flu game just have to play through (laughs) literally sweating (laughs) sweating bullets so got through as I said he wasn't necessarily hiring but he, he always just likes to meet people and try and find the right people for the business and luckily enough there was someone on the outer and I got he got subbed out I got subbed in and Essentially, just started in a, an admin, um, yeah, an admin operations type basic role, and sat in that for a number of years. And I just have a natural knack, or, or what we developed, and what we found a natural knack for operations, processes, and systems, and execution. So, as I became more competent in that role, I, I started to take on more and more responsibility within the business. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, so you know, you, you're doing all this at quite a young age, right? So, so because you know, I wasn't doing any of that stuff at 19. <laughs> if, yeah, I, I don't want anyone to know what I was doing at 19 because that, that, you know. We all know. Yeah, well, it wasn't that, right? I can give you the tip. So, so you know, um, I guess my question around that is, is like, you know, was that something that had come from your parents? You know, like, you know, you said that you went into the mines at 18. You're investing at a young age as well. Not yeah. many people that age are getting yeah. into it. Definitely. Yeah, definitely my father, I think. Um it's just crazy. You don't know what you pick up. But I can really have very, very vivid memories. I probably was like 10 or 12. And like dad was always, dad's father taught him about buying shares and, and long-term value investing. And then he naturally acquired that. And my earliest memories sitting in a caravan park down at Inverloch, which is um, the, the east coast of Victoria near Wilson's from Phillip Island. And every day the Herald Sun, there'd be, um, I think like, ASX 200 or whatever in it and all, all, all the um, individual companies within that and just looking at price shifts in the companies and clearly not acknowledging or not appreciating what I was looking at at that time but just understanding the fundamentals and the shift and the, how a company can the value on a day-to-day basis of course can can fluctuate depending on market conditions and everything so that's probably the earliest memory I can attest to it um, but for him it was of course go and buy a house and and Probably a similar story to what most young Australians do receive, but I think because I'd heard it for such a long time, directly or indirectly, it was just formed part of the DNA, basically. And did you actually go through with buying a house after yep. coming back from my? Oh, you did. Yeah. So, do you remember that first process? I imagine it would have been a. It was interesting. Yeah. It's um, I ended up buying. It was it ended up just being a house and land package then down the southeast, which in the end, considering what's going on, is that has actually performed pretty well over the last, what's it, seven, eight years or something now. But yeah, yeah it was super, super daunting. It was just great. It gave you that perspective shift of being on both sides of the fence. And it's like anything as you're a professional, if you haven't experienced it yourself, how can you truly give potentially yeah. advice or, or reassurance or be empathetic towards what the individual on the other side of the transaction is going through? So, What was it in that process that made you want to get into it? Was it something like, was there an issue with the process? Like, was there something inherently wrong with it that you thought, like, I want to get in this and actually 
do better or was it streamlined and it worked efficiently and it just something that excited you? I think it just excited me for the fact of a good mortgage broker not not only delivers the transaction but will sit with you and talk through your goals. Okay, well, this is transaction today, but what, what does the future look like? How are you going to execute that? How are you going to buy that second house, third house, fourth house? Fourth house? How do you build that portfolio? And um, I think that's the part that really interest me, interested me, the wealth aspect and the, the, the accumulation of wealth and growth. So it was just those types of conversations that uh, interested me. And then the, the process, of course, I've never really done sales prior to that or, or even necessarily acknowledge what sales truly was, but I think that part in the client interaction and, and then the, just the relationship piece really had an impact as well. So I think it was just the end-to-end experience. There's just so many elements of that experience that resonated with me and that, that I, I felt I enjoyed. So, mm. yeah, it's, it's, it, it forced me to inquire. And, um, but, and interestingly, in our industry, I think the statistic is 35 to 40% of people that become a mortgage broker do so off the back of using one and going through the process and the experience. Yeah. So it's it, it's it's either that or, or it's it's within the family line basically. So it's very interesting that you know I was I was a statistic in that instance and um, but it, it is a common scenario where people do do fall into it somewhat. So mm. yeah. So fast forward to like what is it twenty one twenty two you you're obviously in the admin and operations role yep, and yep yep exactly right. So I was in that role for three to four years and. As the managing director, um, Nick Riley, absolute legend, as, as he continued to grow the business and take, remove himself out of the day-to-day, I was just the kind of natural succession plan to, to continue to acquire those responsibilities and duties. And it was something that I did really enjoy and um, luckily I, I did okay at as well. So it, it, it was just a natural fit and Nick necessarily wasn't looking for a succession plan at that point in time and... and not to say he's exiting at any point in time, but it was he needed to find someone that could come in and, and really um, execute on the operational standpoint of the business. And for him, he continued to identify, as we were talking about before, as he was really good at relationships, going and acquiring them and, and maintaining them and, and deepening them to, to a further level and just business strategy and, okay, well, how are we going to grow to that next level? So for me, it was just super, super natural to come in and fill in the blanks and fill in the gaps in a lot of senses and free him up from not wasting his time but just as we know it's in business it's where's your time best spent mm. um, and is your time best spent going and acquiring another client or doing the bookkeeping or is it best spent doing the marketing or putting a new strategy doc together so for him it was okay well where's my time best spent and then everything in between then basically started falling onto me so through that process I just continued to acquire a lot of business acumen and knowledge which course i'm still in, still acquiring to this day as as i continue to take more and more responsibility off him um, through that process as well the sales side of things interested me so i did run or operate a, a dual role there for a while so mm-hmm. i did full-time in the operations type business management position and then i was a mortgage broker or finance broker for about two years as well so i did that after hours because um, the money was good and it just exposed me to to more um from first of all, customer relations standpoint, a sales standpoint, and then um, the money standpoint as well, which which was super beneficial. And then eventually reached the tipping point where we identified as a business and as an organisation we needed a dedicated general manager, which my role was fundamentally created. Um, 
and then I did continue to do sales and, and that for a very brief time and then it was just too much your, your head's here and here and you're just getting torn constantly and, and when it comes to sales as we know you've got to drop everything at the click of a finger when it's required so it was just way too much disruption and and then the interesting thing was once I then started to solely focus on that of course you, you're really honing in on that um, that role that then took things exponentially to the next level as well because it had my undivided attention so and that's really where we are today I think uh, really in my role the shift has been continually it's that trajectory of Nick just becoming higher and higher and higher level and he's very entrepreneurial in his thinking and, and then for me um, it's I'm coming in with the data and the numbers and, and, and the ratios and, and the fundamentals that the numbers tell us off the back of the financials and, and the conversions and, and everything in between to then either validate his ideas or, or give him more information to then fuel the fire to then, okay, well, what's the next element or what's the next evolution of, of our overall strategy? So the combination works exceptionally well. Um, and then luckily enough, two years ago, same thing, apologies for jumping into the time, timeline here a little bit, but two years ago we were lucky enough to have um, somewhat of a business mentor um, join our business as, as Director of Sales, Martin Vidikovic. So he also, through his wisdom and his prior experiences of, of buying and selling multiple businesses, um, just added another element that both I didn't have through a lack of wisdom and experience and, and, and Nick didn't have because it was his, his first business and he'd been in it for 10 to 12 years and Marty just added kind of that third dimension that we realised we were missing um, and that's why over the last two years or two to three years we've pretty much hit 30 to 40 percent year on year growth um, from an overall revenue standpoint um, and a profitability standpoint yeah since what was it 2018 or, or something along those lines so it's it's we feel like we've really started to hit that flywheel effect and um, Marty's Jim Jim exactly right the flywheel is really starting to kick so for us um it's uh, Marty brought in not just the sales element, but he he's also been a business mentor. He, he after buying and selling businesses in between, he decided to start a podcast and, and be a business mentor as well on the side. And um, he added so many different elements to our organisation that um, we probably didn't have. And along with the sales aspect, as I said, the flywheel of the culture and the values and the vision and the people and one of his big mantras and and what he really enjoys is breaking people through their, their, their ceiling and, and taking them to that next level. So it's 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 been incredible and, and for me personally and just as a group, um, he's had a huge impact. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you know, you mentioned something before that kind of, uh, I guess, getting people into their role, you know, and, and the role that they, they're passionate about yeah. and, and where they can thrive and, and just how important that is to the overarching business actually having success, you know, because like you said, you're in a hybrid role and I feel like getting a, a business from zero to run, one, often you have to go through those hybrid roles, but the goal is obviously to get everyone into their individual role, really thriving and then just providing the environment that and, and kind of building the culture that's going to take that, carry that business and allow people to self-actualize in their roles as well. Absolutely. And, and as we were touching on, that's been one of the biggest challenges that I think I've gone through and even Nick is the managing director over the last six to nine months is that you're constantly redefining yourself through organisational growth, exactly that. you From, from day zero to, to day one, you're wearing every hat under the sun, you're, you're doing sales, you're doing marketing, you're managing your own HR, you're doing your own potential legal work. There's so many elements to a business that 
that's your identity. Um, and for a long time, you are probably the primary revenue driver. And, and for me, it was the transition of, okay, well, I'm not generating revenue for the business anymore. I'm managing the business. And for me, it wasn't necessarily numbers on a bit of paper that could immediately direct uh, reflect my impact so it's you know what I feel like I'm turning up every day and I feel as though I'm, I'm, I'm working really hard and I'm having great conversations but where can I tangibly see my impact on, on the business so especially for someone who really enjoys that part it's that's their identity and, and, and when you take away okay well you're not bringing in revenue anymore it's all right well what are you doing how are you actually having impact and, and people do struggle with that identity crisis so you've got to be You've got to have the resilience to to take a step back and take yourself kind of out of the picture and say, okay, well, what is it that I'm doing? How am I adding value? Yes, it's not a dollar base, but okay, have I helped this person achieve better targets for themselves? Have I improved this process, which means our efficiencies here have increased? So they might not necessarily on paper reflect, but you're acknowledging that, okay, well, you are having an impact on the business because the overall fundamentals and the metrics and, and the numbers are saying, over a six, twelve, you know, quarterly basis, biannual basis, annual basis. Look, all in your key areas, you're responsible for that. You know, all the numbers are trending in the right direction. So, and and talking about Nick, same thing as I've touched on with my growth. Of Nick's always been the CFO of the business, and, and that's something that I've I've indirectly somewhat taken on over over the last three months. And for him, it was a okay, well, that was a primary piece of identity that he had had for fourteen years in business, and and just taking a step back the business has been around for 14 years and the business has had a lot of growth and and we've really only defined our current strategy and identity over the last couple of years and as I said during that time Nick's maintained that CFO role so for me being the general manager it's it's natural that I I manage manage the finances and and, and keep tabs on everything and that was something that he'd always done And, and for him it was really letting go and somewhat not losing control but having to trust another person that they're going to take care of it. And okay, well, that time he'd allocated to doing that job, what do I do now? And okay, well, how can I have impact? Uh, because I've got spare time, not necessarily spare time, but I've got more time to allocate in other areas. And and, and yeah, so... CFOs hate to lose uh, control over uh, that too. So you know, so. It, it's the dichotomy of individualism versus what's best for the company, right? Because that's one of the hardest things is like, I want to self-actualize, right? And and I want to improve upon myself and I want to develop myself. Um, but what's best for the company isn't always the results that I'm generating, right? So, so, you know, this is something that I think you always go through when you move from the technician and you start to have to, you know, you start looking at building a team and, you know, something that we're, we're experiencing now is like growing pains, you know? It's like figuring out your processes and systems you know um, how much responsibility do you give to those around you you know what's the right amount you know and and you know uh, it's really like especially as as an owner or a ceo or someone in a particular role it's like you know sometimes you've got to be willing to go through those growing pains even though at the time they feel like oh you know like why are we making mistakes why are we doing this why are we doing that but really that's just a part of the process Mm. you know so Definitely, and I think, and you can never put a number to this, but you can't replicate yourself. If you could, happy days, everyone everyone would be in a happy business, you'd hope, but you can't replicate yourself. So how can you accomplish and achieve what you want to to a certain percentage that you'd expect yourself? And, and there's one aspect that says 
you should expect perfection 100% of the time, no matter who's doing it. But then you also need to be realistic because of growth pains and and people have different drivers as, as to why they're in the role. So do you accept, okay, well, as long as someone can do this role at 80% of what I'd expect myself to, is that an acceptable level? Well, do I expect 90% or do I expect 100%? And through different conversations, it's that's where people struggle to, bro, to, to grow businesses is, is if you set the bar too high, you're constantly going to lose people because people feel as though they're never going to be good enough and they're not going to have that level of engagement. So it's striking the balance of, okay, well, I'm happy to put up with a mistake and, and you can't put a tangible number to this, but I'm happy for this person to make a mistake once a month, once a week, or if they can do the role at 80 to 90% capacity and effectiveness and efficiencies as to why I do it, then that's an acceptable level. So it's it's understanding, as you've said, it's the growth pain, the, the pain of growing and, and you can't replicate yourself. So how can somebody do that and take those duties off you, but understanding that the reason they're in that role might be slightly different to you as an owner and even coming to terms with that, it's why is someone in your business? What's their purpose for being there? And okay, well, if you're in a growth phase, you really don't want people within your organisation that are there just for a job, just to earn a paycheck. They've really got to be buying into what you're trying to achieve as an organisation. So you as a business owner, it's, it's very hard. And and I made the shift, apologies for, for jumping all over the shop here, but my mind's ticking. So I made a shift from being an employee to being a partner and a shareholder over the last uh, four or five years, right? So even the shift in your mentality is, okay, well, as an employer, you want every dollar in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me now, every dollar, I want every dollar in the business's pocket. Um, and coming to terms with that, there's, there's, there's people in businesses that uh, are employees that, that get the opportunities to buy in that can never make that mental switch. And they're always, confl- they're always in a state of conflict because – who am I trying to prioritise here? I'm trying to prioritise myself or am I trying to prioritise the business? And it, it it ultimately comes to, it unwinds some people and, and we've had an instance in the business where um, someone was conflicted on the day-to-day and, and it resulted in one having, you know, a, a fork in the road and a decision had to be made and, and we as a group made that decision and, and everyone's better off for it now. But it was just an interesting experience to go through that um, if down the track you, you do have someone in your business that is an employee that you do want to say hey I want to let this person buy in and five percent and because we know it's 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 that blue sky it's that dangling the carrot and I've grown this business for two or three years and my two I see if they leave I'm I'm stuffed like the proprietary knowledge the the IP the just the trust that I've got in them to replicate that is is going to take potentially years so um, that's that's often a natural progression for someone to to get that opportunity to buy in but are they the right person to buy in are they going to have that mental shift when they do buy in so luckily for me I was able and it took me a year like it took me a year to really think okay well for me it's going to have to pay off in the long run like and it's for every business owner it's how many dollars how many dollars does a business owner reinvest, reinvest, reinvest? Did you take distributions? No, I didn't. I reinvested. And you might not realise some profitability for five years. Mm-hmm. And for an employee to, to come to terms with that, it, it can be a big shift. And luck, and same thing, it took me 12 months initially, but even still up until recently, it's, it's probably been a bit of a challenge, whereas now I get it. And, you know, it's potentially it could be an exit or it could be a variety of different things, but that's when your payday hopefully comes. Have you had anyone guiding you uh, to be able to make that transition and to shift your mindset from being the employee to, to an owner? 
No, no. not really. I think for me, it, no, I don't. Okay. I, I don't, it, and I, I don't know how I did it. I think it was because you become a shareholder, you're in the management meetings, you're having more of those high level discussions. I think I just understood the bigger picture, and I, it just it just took time because I went through I went through the motions and I went through the journey, and and when you understand. You, as an employee, you don't necessarily understand the risks and the commitment and the dedication and, and the hours that the, the business owner has put in. And, and once you get an appreciation for all the effort and the time and the thought that they've gone through to get the business to that point, I think for me it was just that realisation of this person sacrificed a lot. Um, so for me, it's just understanding, okay, well, that's what it takes. That's the sacrifice to get to the business to where it is. And, and, and I can't be, and I've got to acknowledge that, okay, well, I'm dedicating my life to the business, not myself anymore. So it's, it's. How much do you think culture and values plays into that though? Like, cause, cause like, you know, everything you're talking about, right? Like there's, you know, I, I'm guessing that there would have been a particular, like it's the culture that got you over the line, right? It's like you seeing Nick, you seeing what these guys do, the culture they building, the the values they live by, you know, because I, I often think about it like, you know, within a company, there's a certain, like, there has to be a certain culture there mm. for that to be the belief system, you know, and, and only once you get the company to that point where everyone's 100% bought in, everyone's 100% in alignment with those values, can you actually start to really push that company to where it needs to go to achieve the company vision? You know, so, so like how much do you think culture played in that? You know, like, cause you're saying like, you know, what, what you were saying is like, um, there was like a, a, a point where it kind of started to shift. You mm. know, I was wondering how much culture played into that. Culture for us was, is the most significant piece because, and there's, I'm going to answer that two ways. We as an organisation over 14 years have only had one individual leave and that was recently. Um, and, and we have 40 employees, so we've had people being with the business pretty much day dot from an employee or a contractor standpoint. So the culture and, and the, the leadership and the, um, the comfort that Nick really gave to the group um, it has taken us to where we are. And for me, like it's having confidence in him as a leader and, and making the right decisions. So you're right, culture that he's really indirectly developed because for Nick he's a very intuitive person so he didn't sit down and say this is how I want to lead this is how I want to act for him it's comes natural and and people are gravitated toward him because um, he he gives people such confidence and um, such respect and, and everything in between so I think for me it was when you're an employee you are out for yourself and you're always protecting your best interests so I think you're right culture had a huge aspect because it's me putting my belief and trust in him and I already had that, but it's really taking that to that next level. Mm. So that's my first answer on culture. It That was, you're right, I've never even thought about it like that, but that would have been a huge aspect because if I didn't trust him and I didn't trust what we were doing and I didn't trust what we were creating, maybe I could never have taken that leap, that internal shift and, and taken that internal leap. Um, that's a great point, awesome point. Um, and... Our culture has been one of my my greatest challenges as me defining myself as a leader and becoming a leader within the group because when the bar is so high, I naturally need to make look to well, first of all maintain what he's been able to to implement and accomplish from a culture and a and a leadership standpoint. Which for me, it's I'm naturally 
a blunt person and, and naturally very direct. Like it's for me, there's there's no fluff. It's here's how we get there. Let's execute. Let's get it done. So for me, it's there's, as we know, there's there's all different types of personalities. So yeah. sometimes that that leadership approach <laughs> works for some people and works for uh, work for others. So if I was to maintain on that trajectory, I would have got half a group offside and, and half a group onside. So that's easily one of the toughest things in business. Like it's, it's without a doubt one of the toughest things. Cause you, you, you know, like it's, I reckon it's such a gray area, mm. right? Cause it's personality orientated. So like you have to really learn about your people. You have to really invest in them and, and start to understand them and be able to, as a leader in, in kind of have the self-awareness around what, what needs to happen right now? Like, we have, you know, we're talking with Al about this, mm. right? Like, you know, when do you have that hard conversation? When mm. do you when do you pull back and you kind of have to let that person, you know, make that decision for themselves? Like, it's, it's, it's fucking difficult, man. It is. And uh, I've spoken to Holly about this and she said, your personality um, has got uh, – the way I act and my personality has got me to where I am so I, I can't – redefine and try and change who I am because it's helped me achieve and accomplish what I have but it's how do you build on what you've got and and the self-awareness is a big piece and even I just don't think self-awareness the actual phrase and the theory and the idea itself is is commonly known it's it's uncommonly known like it, it if there was more awareness about self-awareness um it, it in theory should help people um be that little bit more inquisitive and look to go through that process of self-discovery and talking about emotional intelligence <clears throat> as you know there's, there's there's four layers or four elements or, or yeah four layers to, to emotional intelligence and and even layer one is self-awareness and even that in itself will make you just such a better leader because you're exactly right and talking about being the technician to the leader it's <clears throat> same thing your personality and your for me it was my my hunger and my directness and my ability to execute got me to where i was mm. but that wasn't going to help me to the next level and help me to the next level. So it ties into that redefining of yourself and whether that's not necessarily redefining, it's just growth, internal growth through self-awareness and then understanding who you are and, and how you would naturally react to situations and circumstances and then how can then you influence other people and get the best out of them as well. So definitely it's, um, it's, it's, it's very important. Oh, it sounds like you've done the work. You know, like most people tend to... like they become aware of self-awareness and that they want to improve themselves and that sort of thing. But then after time, they naturally default back to who they are, you know, because they don't want to do the work in order to get there. Whereas it sounds like you, over a course of the time, you've really put in that work in order to progress to this person where you are today, where you can start to drive that culture and reflect your leadership style on the group within your business too. I think the work also is that is who you are that's who you become right it's kind of like you know and and i reckon one of the hardest things is like you know you got to think about what it's within business you're moving from the technician to the manager to the leader and then you know obviously to the entrepreneur and and that's kind of the journey so Mm. you know nick took that step and and you kind of took that step at the same time and that's how a company really grows Mm. right but i think one of the hardest things is like once you go from like as a technician you rely so heavily on discipline and you're so, you know, that's where you build that directness. You know what I mean? It's like, well, there's no bullshit with yourself. Like, you know, if you want to become good at something, it's you and you, brother. Like, it's, you know, it's you're, you're in it with yourself. And if you bullshit yourself, you don't get anywhere, right? And then all of a sudden, you go into the manager role. And it's like, you can't just, like, with the conversations you would have with yourself, 
you can't have them with other people because that is not yeah, you anymore. All eyes are on you. Yeah, and yeah. it's kind of, but it's more like, well, I want to get the best out of this person. Mm. Maybe this conversation or the conversation I would have with myself isn't the conversation that's going to get the best out of this person. Um, and, and, you know, that's one thing like, you know, when we get someone like Tobes in, right, or we get someone like Al in and, and even yourself leaders, who are in yeah. these roles, right, it's like you start to kind of hear the communication side of it and it's like the, you know, we've talked about this, mm. you know, you, you go through this identity shift and, and I remember like, you know, the first couple of employees and it's kind of like, and, and, you know, you're battling these kind of struggles all the time. Like this is not just something that, you know, it, it's always in front of you It's and it, that always that next moment. But, you know, like you, you kind of like, and Al said this as well, it's like you, you're leaning into a relationship or you're leaning into a situation and, and it's not coming back or you're not getting that kind of feedback that you're looking for. It's not that perfection kind of or how you play it out in your head like mm. i'll say this he'll say this we'll hug it'll be fucking happy days right but it's and and then what happens is it's like well no that didn't happen this is not how things are meant to be playing out and um you know i think it, that's that's one of the you know on an individual level the they're the conversations you have with yourself at night you know it forces what I mean? you to take that step back doesn't it and reflect on what yeah what may influence you may not influence somebody else and you need to really um be empathetic towards that other person yeah, and personally as well. Like, I think there's there's that side of it, but then there's also the other side, and, and you kind of have that battle with yourself. Or like, what am I doing wrong? You know, what do I have to work on? What are, you know, what are these are kind of conversations you constantly have with yourself. And that's, I can't remember where I read it, whether it was in a book or it could have just been on LinkedIn. But my leadership approach and management style is, if someone makes a mistake, I've made the mistake. So, of course, it'll come to a point where the onus is on the individual, but have I given them the right support or training to execute? Have I got sufficient or adequate processes or systems? Have I communicated my expectations accurately? So for me, it's I'm the first person to put my hand up and it doesn't matter who you are in whatever role. You, you could be part of our international team or you could be on, on shore here or you could be in sales, could be in admin, could be in marketing, whatever. But if, I, if, if you make a mistake, I've failed. That's my approach. And if I have failed, how can I best support you so that you can do that role better or, or accurately next time or whatever the situation is? So I think... Sorry. There you go, you go. And, 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 and that has helped me give the team confidence because it's, 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 there's no blame game. It's not you versus me. It's not I'm, the, I'm dictating you and I'm managing you and, and you're underperforming. It's, all right, well, we've both collectively made this error. I've had no involvement factually, but um, high level, I haven't given you the tools to do that correctly or adequately. And for me, even at the moment, talking about managing people, like underperformance is, is a big aspect and what we look to develop and, and we've got a very high performance culture, but you've always got people that will fluctuate in and out of performance and it's, it's identifying, okay, well, why? Um, do they have external distractions based on you know what's going on circumstantially at the moment? Have we introduced a new process that they weren't adequately trained on? Through growth, are we feeling the pressures on one of our processes that used to work that didn't? Um, they're driving factors as to why they work. Um, are they there and they want to leave because they're disengaged? Or do they just want to get their paycheck and go home and they're not going to go that extra 10 or 20% in those circumstances. So if 
for me, it's yeah, managing performance and communicating with people. And you're right, it's connecting with them on their level and trying to identify and pinpoint the gaps. And a lot of the time, people don't know why they've made a mistake or why they they're potentially underperforming. So it's taking them on that journey to identify it, and and you helping them, of course, indirectly helps yourself as well. How do you so so? You know, because there was a few different, you know, there was, there was some, like, different language there, right? There was, like, the, the ones where it's, like, okay, we need to work on our processes, we need to work on our systems, and then there's also the ones where it's, like, well, you know, maybe it is a performance thing, maybe it is a, or an investment thing, you mm. know, to the, to the company. Like, what's the, what's the process that you, you take there to be able to identify that, and, and what are the steps that you take after that? It's a great question. Because th- that would be, hands down, someone listening the number one thing they struggle with is yeah. he- like, cause that's as a young leader, your, your leadership skills are purely based on how well you can identify that situation. Well, and talk about corporatization of the group and me maturing it from a corporate standpoint. It's I'm super fortunate. That's something that comes to me naturally. And, and I'll still give an answer, but just painting some, give me some context. Like that's something that comes to me naturally. I, I can look at a situation or a circumstance or a data set or, or just information in general and I've got a really good ability to process it and then come out with an idea or a theory or, or try and really diagnose what, what potentially has gone wrong or gone right in that instance and I think through my personal development and, and understanding corporate lingo and knowledge and as we've grown as a business is there's a variety of different root, root cause analysis techniques and, and one of the really good ones is the five whys so it's what's the primary issue or what's gone wrong? And then you're asking yourself, okay, well, why did that occur? And then whatever your answer is to that, okay, well, then why did that occur? And, and, and it doesn't necessarily need to be five times. It could be two or three times, but it really cuts through um, the, the top level noise and, and gets you to that root cause of, okay, well, why did that fundamentally occur? Why did, why did that actually eventuate? And then if you address that issue, that, that really has a massive impact. But for me, it's, and it's this would be all business owners. It's my mind just constantly ticks with it. It's constantly just consuming information mm. and and thinking, okay, well, was that the right outcome or the wrong outcome? And if it was the wrong outcome, how do I amend it? And if it was the right outcome, how do I replicate it? And you're um, forced to make decisions really quickly and move on from mm. those decisions too. Yeah, hundred percent. The thing that I'm learning is the same thing. Learning about other people, different people have different skill sets. So the Another thing that I'm coming to terms with is what I expect of myself and how I consume knowledge and how I act and, and how I would um, make a decision isn't how somebody else does it. And talking about right person, right role, I'm clearly naturally a good fit for the role that I'm in. Um, which Find is people who complement the skills that you lack yeah, yeah, or your weaknesses. Exactly right, exactly mm. right. And okay, well, where do I fit in this large ecosystem and then you've got your Nick, you've got your Marty, you've got your Caden and they all play their chess piece in, in, in the big chess game. Um, but finding that is, is, is one of the biggest challenges and that was going to be the one, one of the other aspects I was going to talk about is recruitment. Like for us, we've recruited incredibly well over the last 18 months, directly, indirectly. And the realisation I've come to is the, and this is, will sound very stupid, but the importance of recruiting the right person. Oh, yeah. um, the cost of getting the wrong person um, could be mm-hmm. not just dollar figures, but time. And as we know, that's, that's the number one finite resource. So for us, how do you recruit good people? And it ties back to the vision and the values. And, and for us, 
one of the great things Marty introduced two years ago was our values code and that was a collective organisation development of that. And that's how we govern ourselves. It's like an internal law and internal governance. It's, it's that accountability that everyone holds each other to and, and that has been a massive impact when it comes to recruitment because if people don't align with those somewhat naturally, then it's, it's very hard to change personalities and, and habits and everything in between. So that's really helped us identify who we do and don't want. What um, are some of the questions you might ask someone in an interview in order to sort of suss out whether they're going to be a right cultural fit for you? Great question. It really depends on the role. Um, but I think for us, it's it's understanding what are their drive, coming back to what are their internal drivers, right? And if you're a growth business, you want someone with growth drivers. So coming back to someone with, with understanding initially that First of all, just the natural stuff around their history. But what are their drivers? Why did they apply? What is it about the business that really excites them? And and for me, like we have an international team in the Philippines and Malaysia and we've got a team here as well and ask everyone the same questions. And it's because it doesn't matter who you are or where you're, you're geographically based. You, you've got to align with their organisation. And so for me, as I said, it's what's your drivers? Why did you apply? What about our business resonated with you? And someone you know there might be instances where they're, they're just sucking up and they've just studied the website but if someone really resonates with the website and that's the reason why they've applied like a recent hire that we had it was i just hired uh, hired a guy that um in the operations team leader role he took a job with us for thirty thousand dollars less than other job offers he had because he applied and our job was, uh, that ad was at the top of his list because he looked at the website, he looked at the values, he looked at how we conduct ourselves online and that, that social proofing and it really resonated and connected with him and, and it's been a week and a half and I'm over the moon. So I think for that it's understanding what someone's driver and for him he wanted to be a part of something, he didn't want to just rock up and he really wanted to have an impact and, and he loves the hustle of, of small to medium business and He'd come from a business that had been bought out by um, a publicly listed group and that's why he left because it was that culture and, 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 and that purpose was somewhat left in that instance. So, it's yeah. intent, right? Like that's, it's always intent. Like, you know, number one rule is you hire on intent and that's usually because you can, you can teach skills but intent just – that's something that's mm. personality orientated. So whatever that intent is, it has to align with the company but – Intense always the hardest thing to find. You know, like you, we, we've, this whole conversation comes back to, you know, is everyone in the business trying to drive the growth of the business? And if the answer is no, you're going to That's your competitive advantage over the large institutions as well, the ones that you're competing mm. against. You know, because they, it's so hard once you have 50,000 employees to drive a culture mm. where you're pushing that business further. Whereas within a boutique, mm. yeah, you can really get that going, can't you? You kind of, and you know, I guess that's why you, you you probably have so much respect for like some of the the, the bigger companies like the Apples and these kind of things because more than anything, they've probably just been able to maintain that culture and that drive more than any other company, you know? So so companies get to a certain point and then, you know, maybe some of them stall, but like, <laughs> you know, Apple doesn't stall, you know, like... Tesla hasn't stalled, you know, like there's these companies that have, and, and, and it's not that they're all the same. They've actually probably all got very different cultures, but everyone within that believes in that vision, believes in that culture, aligns with that. And that's what ends up, you know, you've probably seen this now is that's what attracts people to go work to these. That's what, you know, you, where you start to become what prof calls it is an accelerant where you don't have to worry about putting up CCADs and these kind of things because people are coming to you, you know, and I think, 
you know, that's something that, you know, from just this conversation you can start to pick up and, and if, you, if you're talking about taking your company from zero to one, you know, you've got to have the right people. And to that point, that's an internal discussion we've had over the last six months is your workforce is, is, is your sales force and your referral force and it's exactly that. It's in the group within the company, tell their friends and then they want to come and work for you and, and it's building that reputation and you're exactly right. It's You want it to come to a point where your, your brand speaks for itself and, and the way your, your, employee, your employee value proposition speaks for itself and, and we're luckily enough talking about the flywheel, that's something we're starting to feel over the last six months as well is people we've hired are telling their friends and and luckily there's still a lot that has to go along with it. You can have a friend that you might want to join your business but they've got to meet the culture. They've got to make sure that they fit with everything else and and we've just hired someone in a sales role that's a high performer as well and and that came from an internal referral. So for us, it's like it just gives you that layer of validation to think, all right, it's what we're doing is working. We're, we're doing something right here because, as we all know in business, sometimes you trial so many things and you might not get noise, positive or negative, and you're just thinking, is this having an impact? And for us, it's all right. We we do, we think we do all, right, all the right things when it comes to the employees, and we think like we've got a really sound vision. Um, and that just gave us that that little boost of confidence to think, yes, if, if someone's happy to, to, to refer their friend and recommend they come and work here, then some, we're on the right track. So, um, yeah, it's 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 a great point, definitely. All right, we might, what we might do, Andy, um, we might jump into quickfire, I reckon, and, yeah. and, and, and chuck a few questions at you. Beautiful. <laughs> to, nah, but the whole idea with this is, you know, um, short, impactful yeah. um, bits of content. I've been talking a lot. I oh, know, sorry. No, it's good, man. Like, it's it was an insightful conversation. Like, yeah, I mean, definitely. it's probably more so for me than anything. I'm the most... I'm the long-winded one, right? I'm... I'm, I'm oh, Andy. Andy's not a, not a fan. Um, <laughs> he wants my dreams. At this point. <laughs> um, he's the poor bugger. He has to go away and, and uh, create all the content. Yeah, listen to it on work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, 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 Andy hates me, by the way. Because it's like, imagine how much of my voice he's had to hear up until this point. Too much. <laughs> um, all right, we're going to dive into these. Yeah. Let's have a reset. <laughs> all right, so, so one piece of advice for young business leaders out there. It's just personal development. It's, it's understanding, okay, well, what do you want to be as a leader? I think that's probably the, the first piece of the puzzle and... Personal development, as we know, um, can come in so many different formats. But for me, it was just, okay, well, what do I want to accomplish and what skill sets do I need to accomplish that? So for me, it's go out and gain mentors, work out what you need to learn. And and for me, I didn't necessarily have... um, a bookkeeping background or a financial analysis background so but I want to be a general manager and that's that's a key part of the role and the duty and as being a leader so I just go and acquire that knowledge and as we know we can do that through books through courses um, through different businesses that can support that so for me it's upskilling yourself in in the key areas that you know that are required and you may not know the areas that are required but it's talking to people that have potentially accomplished what you want to accomplish and, and understanding what they needed from a skill set perspective to uh, to accomplish what they had. Yeah, it's Jim Rohn, right? Jim Rohn's book and, and his kind of thing, you're a sum of the five people you spend your time around. So that's definitely something that I, I resonate with. Is, mm. you know, I've, I've been really lucky to have some mentors in my life that have just completely 
transformed it um, and, and the, you know, continuously helping me become mm. the person I want. So as a young leader, you know, your, your, your self-development is it's, that's your bread and butter. That's, that's the kind of non-negotiable. Yeah. And as you've said, it's doing the work, not yeah. just learning it, but okay, well, how are you implementing it? How are you constantly evolving it? And one of the cool things that I've really come to terms with recently is you might learn an idea but where you're at in your journey, it doesn't necessarily click, right? But if you can come back to it at some point in time, you, it's like if you watch a movie for a second time, you notice something you didn't notice before. Um, and, and with that personal development journey, I think that happens quite a bit because I was on your Instagram this morning and I went through a post, the Elite Business School Instagram, and I looked at a post that was probably two months old and it was, what are the th- three key metrics that you should be managing in your business? And one of them was cost of acquisition and we call it something different. And talking about my growth, I've named that metric, but for us it's personalised to our business. But at the end of the day, from a corporate standpoint, if an insider looking in, it's cost of acquisition of, of client and lead. So I learned something this morning. Um, but it's if I hadn't gone and learnt that initial piece of the puzzle, I couldn't then liken that terminology to, to what we've gone through and what I've had to learn in the initial instance. And that's, that's the acumen, right? That's the acumen you collect when you do invest in yourself and you do do the courses and you do gain that understanding. Definitely. Mm-hmm. What's had the most influence in... What has the most influence in a business's success and why? It's the same answer I'm assuming everyone gives. It's, it's people and culture. Like, um, the intent why why is everyone there why does everyone rock up every day that that has the biggest influence um you can have a great strategy and you can have a great process and you have great technology but the ability to execute is the single most handily important element of a business's success and one of the major one of the main integral parts of execution is the intent of the individual behind the execution so um yeah it's it comes back to the intent and why is somebody there and working for you just once, I want someone to come on and say, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It'll never happen. Brayden's just once. Like, that's answer. Yeah, literally. <laughs> All right, uh, next one. Three words to describe a, la- a great leader and why? Fierce, understanding, and resilient. That's spot on. But okay, so I actually I want to come back to that. So why fierce? Why why understanding? What like so they they you know they they're sometimes two separate things, right? So so why you know why do you why are they what what do those words mean to you and and why do you think they're the, the ones? Fierce is it's what how do you keep coming back day in day out? It's fierce in your ambition and your intent and and your drive. It's it's having the internal driver to say i'm rocking up every day no matter what so it's just just fierce in, in the way you operate and, the, and 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 how you conduct yourself on a day-to-day basis and then understanding is or empathetic you could probably put another spin on it it's it ties into that people piece it's understanding that you aren't the only individual within your business so you, you've got to understand everyone within your business to to maximize and get the most out of them and understand the intent of why they're there and, and make sure that that aligns to the business's success Spot on. Next question is life advice for your younger self. <laughs> um, oh, I've definitely, like we all have, 
I reckon I did have a, had a, have, a sim, have had a similar journey to you, but I've blown a lot of money. So I think for me, life advice is <laughs> don't blow as much money and invest as soon as possible. Yeah, that's definitely the truth. That's what <laughs> my whole podcast is about. <laughs> Literally, right? Like, you know, coming back to the mines, it's, yes, I use majority of the deposit but for to buy a house, but I still didn't work for six months and I had a great time. <laughs> I still think, though, that... You I need to do that. that. Yeah, I don't think it's as negative of, as what people make out that it is because you learn so much through um, making those mistakes. And some of those times are your best memories. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. like... like Yeah, you're never going to get that back. Like Especially I, when you're in your, your young 20s, you know. Nah. Get out there and enjoy yourself. Like, I was a... I was a fuck up, right? Yeah. But I, I had so much fun. Like, there's still memories I look back on now and I go, I'm just glad I got to, to go through those and experience those and the friendships you build. Um, what What would that mean to you, though? If you were able to go back and change that, why Why would you want to change that? I wouldn't change what I did. I would just would change what I did with my money. I think what I'm, I agree we've all been through, it teaches you street smarts. Like, you can really identify the difference between someone that's got street smarts and how do you define street smarts is very difficult. But someone in business with street smarts and someone in business without street smarts, it's, they've just got a different edge and, and they've just got the ability to read and understand people, I feel, a little bit better. It's relationships. You well, know, yeah, it's yeah, relationships, yeah. you know, like and, and the give and take and, the, and the, the knowing, you know, like, you know, there's always like one person, right, that you know that just like, doesn't know how to read the situation. Like they either just say something they shouldn't say, or they, you know, they're, um, you know, they're so outspoken and they can't read that situation. I think that's what you get from, from, you know, you don't learn that just no. being in a business, you no, know, because yeah. everyone's so formal, yeah. you know. But when you know, maybe it's like, yeah, oh, I'm trying to think of an example, like when you're younger and your mate's just broken up with his missus or something, right? And and it's kind of like, okay, well, I, you know. I'm not going to crack this joke today. Maybe day eight. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's, but it's those kind of things, I guess. That when you start to build that, that the, like what you were saying, well, those, those are the three smarts. traits that make you the the leader. You know, like it allows you to build that empathy um, and understanding of other people. Mm. You know, without that, you'd you'd probably be a terrible leader, or you'd need to bring somebody in to fulfill that role. Yeah. Instead of having to do it yourself. Mm. But yeah, straight straight smarts and. The ability to, to develop and maintain and maintain relationships, I think, is a big element. But in terms of the money piece, it's just financial freedom sooner and the, the ability to make choices sooner, ultimately. So what yeah. does that mean to you? What does financial freedom mean to you? What's interesting, like, for me, of course, the, the definition for most people, it's the ability to, to, to make a choice and you're not bound by where you live geographically you're not bound by a specific employer or there's no money limitations on your decisions so it's not i want to go on a 100 250 foot super yacht like for me that's irrelevant it's just the ability to have freedom and choices um yeah 100 but interestingly as, as as everyone keeps coming back to those that have reached that financial freedom and 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 i follow like the fire movement pretty closely as well it's it just gives you the ability to do what you want yeah. and fulfill your purpose as well. So it's just more fulfillment, which ties back to money and choices and everything right. in between. So um, luckily for me, like, as you can tell, I'm super passionate. Like yeah. I feel fulfilled every day and I yeah. feel super lucky to do what I do. And like, I've been with Innovate eight years and I get up and get excited every single day. 
um, every day is a challenge and there's, there's not one day I think I hate being already re- reached that point <laughs> of <your> freedom then <laughs> so yeah that, that's probably the, the two answers of it but um, uh, next I'm, question yeah that's it is it is it must be yeah there, there it is beautiful quick fire finished. that's good that was a quick hour it goes quickly that's the thing with podcasting it goes really quickly that's kind of what I was saying to you, you know, you, like there's, it's kind of flowy, you know, you just, once you're in the, in the flow state, you kind of, you kind of get away with it. Mm. Um, awesome, mate. I, I want to say a massive thank you for coming on the show. Um, so much value there. I think yourself, keep doing what you're doing, brother, because, you know, you're, you're, you're leading from the front, um, not just for your company, but, you know, for, for everyone else out there as well. And I might get you to give yourself a little bit of a plug. Where can where can people find you? Where can people maybe give you the, the company a plug as well? Definitely. So the company's called Innovate, I-N-O-V-A-Y-T. So, so. Hey, how good's this guy? <laughs> Didn't plug himself first. <laughs> business. I'm nothing. Business. It's 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 all a business. So in a, yeah, Innovate, I-N-O-V-A-Y-T. So Facebook, website, Instagram. Um, and me personally, Jordan Morrison, as, as I'm sure it'll probably cover off in the You'll intro as well. You'll be big on well, Twitter, so. surely. <laughs> No, true. I'm, I'm not too active on social media, to be honest. So if you want to connect with me through the business, um, email address is there, mobile phone number's there. And if anyone just wants any help or just wants to have a chat, open to, to talking and, and chewing the fat, as I like to call it. So, yeah, reach out. Perfect. So good. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Um, hope you enjoyed it and we'll, we'll see you guys on the other side. Thank you. Cheers.